Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name will suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Italian Open as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into outside of the tennis world. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can get into Rand Paul grilling the DHS secretary and just my overall thoughts and opinions and all that in terms of how he just basically exposed him in front of the world to see this happen over the weekend. But I thought it was quite important to at least discuss it. I was going to discuss it on Tuesday's pod, but there were some other pressing matters such as podcast comedy beef that I thought was a little bit more important to at least discuss but we can discuss Rand Paul grilling the DHS secretary over the Ministry of Truth and how they're sort of preserving or sort of qual- like sort of adding different tiers to disinformation as a result of that. In terms of news within the sports world, we can discuss Tom Brady landing an analyst gig at Fox Sports. The deal is over is over 10 years for 375 million and i think it's a very important thing to at least discuss it because i saw some reactions to it i saw kyle kalinsky's tweet about it and i like kyle kalinsky but he had some pretty weird opinions on it uh so tom brady getting the fox analyst gig in terms of news within the tennis world though we can discuss novak djokovic versus aslan Karatsev that occurred yesterday and just the straight set victory that novak djokovic had against aslan Karatsev as a result of it but we're all the start for today, and obviously the biggest news story that has happened in the past two days, three days for the Italian Open, for the Italian Open is Denis, Denis Shapovalov facing off against Lorenzo Sonego, where Denis Shapovalov won in three sets, 7-6, 7-5 was the tiebreaker, 3-6, 6-3, and this was a really good match. Uh, the, the, people would say that it's one of the better matches of this year. I didn't watch it in its entirety because obviously... This was a Monday morning match. I was busy with the podcast. I was busy with work and whatnot. So I could I didn't have enough time to watch this match. But this was a good match to watch, I've heard. And obviously the biggest, most iconic moment of this match was easily 7634 Deuce. And that was, if you guys don't know, this is probably a big Twitter meme that's happening, but Dennis Shapovalov had to serve at Deuce, or at Ad, I would say. And it went in, you know, in, in his in his vantage point, at his vantage point, he thought the serve was in. The chair umpire calls it out. Uh, so basically, he goes to show the chair umpire where he thought the ball was. He gets quite irate, quite mad, the fact that the, that the ball isn't being overturned. Again, they don't have any Hawkeye there, so they don't have any advanced technology where, where they can show whether or not the ball is in or out. All they have is the imprint that the ball leaves on the clay surface. So Denis Shapovalov gets mad at the chair umpire. He's basically hootering and hollering. He goes over the net to show and illustrate the uh, the umpire how the ball is out. And he goes back to his own side of the net. And the umpire is like, Dennis, because of that, we're going to give you a code violation. You should not be going over the net. And obviously, I think that's a kind of a dumb rule to do just because if somebody goes over the net, you give them a code violation. I think that's kind of dumb. But again, rules are rules, and Dennis Shapovalov did not follow those rules. And he got extremely irate and even more upset because of this. And as a result of this, Shapovalov called for a supervisor during the code violation where he was just making his case to the to the supervisor saying that this makes no sense. I should not be getting a code violation. I, the ball was in. And you just hear boos from the audience. Boos are just pouring in for Denis Shapovalov and then Denis Shapovalov just erupted and he said shut the f up now usually I like to swear you know but because of the YouTube 10 minute rule and because of how fickle and how sort of pro censorship YouTube is I have to sort of say it in in the most vanilla term possible and in terms of the most uh, family friendly way possible but basically he swore in front of the entire Italian audience but he did it in the most Canadian way possible which is being polite while doing it so Overall, that's what happened. That was the main gist of it in that second set. And even though he would lose that second set, even though he would drop that second set, he would come back and prevail on that third set, win against Sonego, and then thus facing off against Nikola Basilashvili the next day, the following day in which he won against him in straight sets. But overall, that's what happened. And when I saw the shut the F up to the crowd, I just knew that would be like a Twitter meme. 
I knew it would be a Twitter meme. Like you just saw people just go with it, run with it. And honestly, if you have to thank Dennis Shapovalov, thank him for that. Honestly, like thank him for that. That was amazing to see. Uh, so yes, overall, that's what happened. That's what transpired again uh, with the Lorenzo Sonego match and the Shapovalov match. I understand where Shapovalov was coming from because there were obviously two other calls made by the Empire that were proven wrong by Hawkeye previously. You know, so this wasn't the first time where we saw the chair umpire get proven wrong. I mean, if you saw the replay, the announcers were like, no, that's that's in. You know, that should not be counted as an out. But obviously, you know, the line judges, the chair umpire, you know, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. You know, they're not the, they don't have the best eyes. You know, they should have the best eyes. But sometimes they make mistakes just like any other person in any other profession. So you got to give them the benefit of the doubt here. But um, I get where Shepaval was coming from. I really was. Uh, because, again... You know, this is a ATP 1000 tournament. You, you know, you have to be on your best behavior. You know, you have to make sure that the chair umpires are calling in, calling it in the right way. Now, was it out? Was it in? I have no idea. They did not show an entire replay of it during the entirety of that serve. So I have no idea as to whether or not it was out or in. But this isn't the first time we've seen Shapovalov become this irate over a call that didn't go his way, right? I mean, if you look back at that Nadal match earlier in, earlier in the year, I mean, he basically just said to the chair umpire, hey, you're all corrupt. I think that was the Australian Open match where he had with Nadal, where he's like, you're all corrupt. I think it was the quarterfinal, if I'm not mistaken. And he was like, you're all corrupt. You you guys don't deserve to do this. I'm like, Chapo, like, come on. I get, I get it. You're in the thick of the moment. I get it. You know, things get heated at this mo- moment in time, but you got to be more level-headed. You can't just call everybody corrupt. I mean, right? That's, that's, big severe allegations and that's going to result in extraordinary fines that will probably cripple your bank account so again like you got to be more aware and more in tuned with what people are going to hear because at the end of the day everything you say on the court as in terms of your interactions with the chair umpire with your interactions with the line judges with the ball boys they're all mic'd up so you have to be on your best behavior otherwise you're going to have severe repercussions with them so that's just my overall advice for Shapovalov I like Shapovalov I think he's a good good player you know I think you know he he's like one of these uh individuals that can really get more and more people invested in tennis right I mean if you watch that match that he had at Wimbledon I mean when you think when you look at that Wimbledon run last year you know it really proves to you and really goes to show that he can compete and can, can contend with the top 10 and I feel like Time and time again, we've seen his antics, his outburst happen on court, and he does have a fiery head. He does have a hot head, which that's completely fine to have. But I do think that at some point you have to keep those emotions in check. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot more of this in the next immediate future. You know, so I do think right now should be the opportunity where Shapovalov sort of self introspects and tells himself, "Okay, I need to focus on my own mental health." I got to focus on my emotional behavior. Otherwise, it will get the best of me. And I think Shapovalov right now needs to focus on this. Otherwise, we're going to see more and more outbursts like this in the immediate future. So yeah, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on that. I know I, I, I know it's very easy to sort of process this and, and sort of digest this and, and, and sort of give your opinion out there that that is, you know, sort of very anti-Shapovalov because I've seen a lot of individuals that are like that. But I, at the end of the day, like if you've seen... The content that this has generated for people outside of tennis like i saw on john boy media talk about this like i've never like if you guys don't know john boy media you got to he's a great follow go check him out he like does these he tries to de- decode what baseball players are saying when they get ejected or when they sort of get reprimanded so he like does like lip reading to what they're saying and it's very highly entertaining engaging Go give John Boy Media a good follow because he is a great, great person to... He has great content, honestly. So John Boy Media was talking about it. Barstool Sports was talking about it. This was one of the few times within tennis that really got into the mainstream culture in terms of the overall back and forth between tennis player and chair umpire. We haven't had this since, like, Curios, right? So honestly, I... I know it's easy to be against Shapovalov, but let's be honest here. Like the majority of people had no idea that the Italian Open was running, right? If if you're not in the te- in the tennis world, if you're not within, if you're not well versed with the inner ATP schedule, 
chances are you have no idea the Italian Open was there. So if you see the Shapoval of Outburst, this was the biggest advertisement that, he, that the Italian Open could ever have. So by default, I don't think we can really be mad at Shapoval for doing this, right? Because this generated a lot more publicity than just having some top 10 t tennis player, you know, kick the bag out of some journeyman tennis player, right? This did a lot more for getting more and more people talking about tennis than any other match could ever do. So by default, I think you got to be a little bit supportive of Shapoval in, in this situation, right? And I know I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I do think that at this moment in time, at, at that particular time, I should say, having support for Shapovalov kind of made sense, right? Obviously, it's easy to hate on him, hate to, uh, easy to dismiss him, and I get all the criticisms for that. But I feel like in terms of the publicity that this generated, I think that this did a lot more good than harm. And yeah, while it's not ideal for, uh, for a tennis player to say shut the F up to a crowd, at the end of the day, I think... As long as it gets people talking and engaged in the product, it's hard to really shut it down. And, you know, obviously controversy does sell. You know, I mean, obviously ask Kyrios, ask McEnroe, ask these individuals who have had a history with their sort of qualms and beefs with umpires. But overall, I do think that this was a step in the right direction for tennis. Now, I don't think this should happen or this should be normalized. I don't. But I feel like once in a blue moon, if this happens once every five to six months, if this happens, you can't really be mad at it. You really can't. I think that this is actually quite enjoyable, honestly. Like to me, I sort of equate this to fights in the MLB, right? Like obviously, if you know the MLB, you know that if there's a fight between two players, ESPN, the MLB network, and more specifically, the MLB will make it, will milk it for all its money. They did it with the Yankees Red Sox back in the 2000s. They'll surely do it again if that opportunity sees fit. So I honestly, in my opinion and in my, in my calculation, I don't really hate on this. Obviously, if this, is, if this gets normalized, sure. If Shapovalov physically abused a chair umpire, then I'll be vehemently opposed to it. But, you know, just having a back and forth with the supervisor, having a back and forth with the chair umpire, making your case, making your case known, reprimanding the audience because the audience, while I get where they're, where they're coming from because it's the Italian Open, Lorenzo Sonego is Italian, I get that they're supporting him, but to see them him reprimand the audience for just being blind homers and just booing him at every turn, and even at times cheering on double faults, which I thought was a, kind of sad. I, he didn't have that many double faults, but there were times where Shapovalov would make a mistake and they, I would just hear cheers from the audience. So to see him reprimand the audience for that, hey man, I get it. Do your thing. You know, I support you in that endeavor. So honestly, I thought, I thought that was good fun. I really did. And I, there are the purists out there that will hate on it, which whatever. I mean, if you're a purist like that, then I really don't know what to tell you. But overall, I did enjoy this encounter. I, I really enjoyed the moments that this allowed us to have as tennis fans and hopefully we're able to see this in the future but not so much but just enough where it can get tennis within the cultural headlines within the headlines of the sports pages and i think that in itself is a very very important thing for tennis to do if it wants to continue this growth that it's currently been having with alcaraz and with other individuals within that generation so i feel like that's a good way to sort of put a bow tie on the topic so let's get into the next topic. So Novak Djokovic played against Aslan Karatsev yesterday, Tuesday. I think Novak Djokovic has another match today, if not tomorrow. So I'll be on the lookout for that. But Novak Djokovic played against Aslan Karatsev and beat Aslan Karatsev 6-3, 6-2. Overall, this match was quite dull, I would say. It was not that entertaining. Obviously, there will be matches like this in the future. Obviously, when you have a great player like Djokovic, there will be matches where, just, where he will just run away with it. And that's to be expected when you're dealing with a person of that expertise. Overall, I thought the match was quite dull, but things that I really took away from this match is, first off, Novak Djokovic, Novak Djokovic is getting more comfortable at the baseline. He's getting more comfortable playing tennis. He's keeping his unforced errors in check. He's making the correct adjustments that he had with Alcaraz with matches like Karatsev and, and hopefully with future matches within the Italian Open. So he's making the correct adjustments and the important strides 
to succeed in these matches. And I feel like that's a very, very pure thing and a very, very important thing for him to master. And overall, I thought the match, as I've said before, but I think it begs repeating, the match was quite dull, right? And that's to be expected when you're dealing with the Djokovic. You know, I mean, when you saw his serves, when you saw his ability to get Aslan Karatsev flustered at the baseline and make him feel a little bit sort of cautious in terms of approaching the net and ending points of the net. All of that really goes to show you that Novak Djokovic has made incremental progress within the few months that he's been playing so that he can sort of recapture that French Open title that he won last year. And I think this is overall a good match for him and a step in the right direction for him. And I'm excited to see what's next for him. I really am. I'm excited to see how he's able to respond to his all-across loss and how he's able to sort of pinpoint and project, and more importantly, predict how he's able to beat Carlos Alcraz. Because at some point, he's going to run into him. Whether it's the final, whether it's before then. And I feel like at that moment in time, that's when you're going to see Novak Djokovic be at his most comfortable. And while I think Alcraz is going to be one of the best players to ever do it, I also have that mindset that Novak Djokovic is able to make quick audibles in his in his game plan and as a result be able to win. And he wasn't able to do that last match that he was that he did with Kyle Cross, but I feel like once he gets the bearings underneath him, once he's able to be more comfortable playing and once he's once he feels that shift in him that he can do well at these tournaments, then I feel like at that moment in time he will go over on Alcraz. And that may mean more moon bowls, you know, like we saw in that first set, in that latter half of that first set. It may mean getting Alcaraz to be sort of relegated to one side of the court so that he can whip out a forehand down the line on the other side of the court. Who knows? There's different ways to construct a point. And I feel like Novak Djokovic, as we've seen before, can do that to the best of his ability and in ways that we've never seen before. So I think... For the upcoming Alcraz Djokovic match, whenever that will be, I feel like we'll see a better improvement to his game as opposed to what we saw at the semifinal at the Madrid Open. So, yeah, that's overall what I think will happen with Djokovic. With Karatsev, I mean, it's been a regression to his game ever since we saw him win last year. I mean, early on in that, in, in the, in, at 2021, we saw him do well. We saw him do well, we saw him win. But ever since, I would say, the Sydney Open International where he won against Murray at the final, it's been he's been regressing. And there's been a lot of tournaments where he hasn't really been doing that well. He's had an early exit at Madrid Open, at Monte Carlo, at Indian Wells, Dubai, Rotterdam, and many, many others. Uh, even though he won the Serbian Open last year, or Serbian Open semifinal against Djokovic, he lost to Berrettini in the final. But even though he won the Serbian Open semifinal against Djokovic, which, which was lauded as one of the better matches of 2021, he's had somewhat of a regression. And I feel like he hasn't really been playing to the best of his ability, to the best of his, of his powers, to the best of what we've been accustomed to seeing ever since last year in the 2021 season. So... Hopefully there there can be a change in his in his playing style. And, you know, obviously we talk about coaching and you know Stefan Sitsipas was reprimanded for coaching, but all, Carlos Alcross wasn't. I mean, he clearly got coaching at the semifinal against Novak Djokovic. I feel like Aslan Karatsev should receive on court coaching, and I feel like the umpire should allow that. Like honestly, anything that gets this man back in his mojo, back into the swing of things, I'm for. Right? I think. Aslan Karatsev should get on-court coaching, right? Obviously, we can sort of reprimand other players for doing that. Like, if Djokovic got on-court on court coaching, I'd be like, okay, Joker, you're one of the best to ever do it. In my opinion, you're the GOAT. I don't think you should get on-court coaching. But I feel like for certain players, they should, right? When you think of Nick Kyrgios, and when you think of the hothead that he has, right? If he got on-court coaching, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe he needs that. <laughs> you know, maybe he needs on-court coaching. Like, when I see Aslan Karatsev, I'm like, okay, You've been doing pretty bad for quite some time now. Now it's time to get somebody to, you know, talk to you in the stands and say, hey, go for a body serve instead of a wide serve. Hey, maybe go to the net instead of stay at the baseline. Hey, maybe change the pace and maybe change your grip so that you can get a slice in or a drop shot in in the middle of a rally. I don't know. Do something. Do anything to your game because more often than not, it's been the same for the past five, six months. 
And quite frankly, it's getting quite tiring to watch this man play. <laughs> like, it really is. And I love him. I really do like Aslan Krasov. I think he's a great player. You know, he's very good at the baseline. He he likes to stay back there, and I think that's quite admirable. But you got to change it up a bit. You know, so I feel like if he gets encore coaching, I would support it. You know, there are a few players that I think should get encore coaching, and I think Aslan Krasov is in that handful of players that I believe should get it. <laughs> like, honestly, like, honest. I'm in terms of the on-court coaching thing, I was going to address it last episode because I know I was a little bit too harsh, I would say, on Stefano Sitsipas. I mean, go back on my podcast clips channel. It's like one of my more view, highest viewed videos on there where I just reprimand Stefano Sitsipas for getting coaching and for toilet breaks. Uh, I somewhat agree with what I said there back then. Um, overall, my opinion has been a bit more refined, but overall, like I feel like I went a little bit too far because I did not know how rampant it was. I did not know how rampant encore coaching was. I, I thought it was just a one-time thing for for Sitsipas. I did not know it was like this widespread epidemic that each and every player was complicit in. Right. Obviously, ever since then, I've sort of become normalized to that. And when I see coaches sort of talk out loud to their players, it gives me the impression that, okay, Stefano Tsitsipas is just the norm. So while I still believe that encore coaching should not really happen, you know, like while I still believe in that mindset that if it's outlaw, then it's your be- it's in your best chance to not do it. I, st- I think that if it's getting to the point where it's this normalized, you sort of have to understand where people are coming from and sort of change your opinion as a result of it. Uh, while I still believe in the idea that I don't think encore coaching should happen, I my opinion has definitely been refined to an amount where I'm like, okay, if it's this rampant, I can't single out a player for doing it. So that's my overall thoughts on the encore coaching thing and and to a bigger extent, or to a much smaller extent, this match between Djokovic and Karatsev. Now, I feel like when you think of Karatsev, I mean, again, this is a man that you know has been routinely being ba- has been routinely been balanced at the round of sixty-four, round of thirty-two for quite some time now. And you know, as a man that has seen the highs, the heights of Karatsev, I think that we should expect more from players like him, and, and more from players that we know could contend in the ATP top 10. But honestly, in my opinion, I feel like right now is where we're going to expect Karatsev to be in quite some time now, for quite some time now. And I think right now we should be numb to the fact that Karatsev probably won't be as good as, say, Rublev or Medvedev. And that's fine. I mean, obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think right now is that moment in time where we're like, okay, this is where Karatsev will be for the foreseeable future, he might win an ATP, ATP tournament win. You know, there might be times where he'll win, and, and obviously that's to be expected, expected within tennis. But right now is where people should expect him to be in the next 5, 10 years. You know, a person that can have a Cinderella run, but overall will be more often than not losing first round, second round, and exiting earlier than not. So... I think that's where people should realistically understand and, and sort of predict where Karatsev will be in terms of his overall in terms of his overall seeding and ranking within tennis. So yeah, that's where I'll sort of leave it off at that with Djokovic and Karatsev. There's obviously Lindia matches that I think you guys watch as well. I watched the Andrescu Raducanu match where Raducanu retired in the second due to her I think knee, I would say, or upper body, I would say. I think there was some injury to her upper body, so she had to retire from the match. She wasn't really playing that well in that last set that I watched, but obviously, you know, she had that injury, so you can't really take that into account. Uh, there were other matches that happened and transpired, but overall, the Italian Open, I gotta say, it, it hasn't really been as engaging as I thought it would be. Obviously, you had the Shapovalov match, but besides that, I think the Madrid Open right now still remains to be one of the better tournaments, if not the best tournament that we've seen this year. And uh, it's going to be tough to top it. Like, I mean, if you look at the final eight, 
I mean, that could be a grand slam right then, right there and then. So, honestly, like, I don't really... I think the Italian Open still needs to get a little bit better before we sort of view it in the same vein as, hey, well, we saw the Madrid Open. I mean, that Madrid Open, we're going to be discussing that tournament in the next few years to come. That was a really fun, interesting, engaging tournament to watch from start to finish. And the Italian Open fails to... uh, live up to that expectation. So uh, that's just my overall thoughts on the uh, djokovic Kratzev thing and overall the Italian Open thus far. All right, let's get into uh, news outside of the tennis world. So Tom Brady gets a Fox analyst gig for $375 million after he retires. This was first reported by Adam Schefter where he tweeted out, uh, let me just pull it right up, Tom Brady has agreed to join Fox Sports as its lead NFL analyst whenever he stops playing. Lachlan Murdoch announced. So I feel like the Murdochs, they own Fox. Uh, I thought Rupert Murdoch stepped away from Fox News. Uh, but maybe the Murdoch family still owns Fox. Uh, so that's interesting to see. Uh, but when I first saw this uh, posted by Adam Schefter, I'm like, okay, this is definitely not true. Like, this can't be true. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm never, I'm taking Adam Schefter's news with a grain of salt now. Like, he flubbed. The Tom Brady announcement rumors. He flubbed uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo thing or the Tom Brady news uh, a few years ago when he said he was signed to another team besides the Buccaneers. Uh, there have been several times where he was fooled by Twitter and by like fake accounts on Twitter. So I take everything Adam Schefter says with a grain of salt. Uh, but this was then corroborated by other outlets. So I'm like, okay, this must be true then. Uh, NFL, the Fox Sports NFL page, NFL on Fox, like the people that assigned Tom Brady said, we are pleased to announce that immediately following his playing career, seven times Super Bowl champion Tom Brady will be joining us at Fox Sports as our lead analyst. And then this was later tweeted out by Adam, Andrew Marshan, who is of the New York Post, saying the Tom Brady contract to call games for Fox Sports is for 10 years and $375 million. The Post has learned. So overall, he's making money, man, and that's good. The GOAT should be making money. I feel like, you know, people hate on the rich, and they may have a point. I'm not going to say that they don't have a point on hating the rich. There are some people that did make their billions and did get billions through just being the son or daughter of some billionaire, and as a result, they got the, uh, the money as a result of it. So obviously, for those individuals, those who earned it or those who got it without earning it, Obviously, I get where that rationale comes from in terms of hitting billionaires, you know, but overall, Tom Brady is going to be a billionaire and people may not like it, but overall, that's what he deserves, right? At the end of the day, football is a meritocracy. The best of the best do well. Sports is one of the few times where meritocracy does matter. And when you see a seven-time Super Bowl champion that has been a company man through and through, at at some point, you got to cash in. You know, it's like the money in the bank with WWE. At some point, you got to cash in your chips and you got to make the money that you want and you got to get the success that you want. So at the end of the day, I don't have any issues with Tom Brady making as much money as he possibly wants to make. At the end of the day, we should all aspire to do that. There's nothing wrong in, in terms of making money. There's nothing wrong in terms of accruing enough money to make sure that your children, that your grandchildren live enough so that they too can live in a reasonable life. There's nothing wrong with that. So when I see, and this gets into the, into the Kyle Kalinske thing, where if you guys don't know Kyle Kalinske, he's like this leftist, socialist, kind of left-wing populist guy. I really like him. I, I think he's a really good uh, YouTuber. He gives good informative content. You should go subscribe to him. Great dude. But there was a tweet that he sent out where he's like, and this was a quote tweet to like Andrew Marshan's tweet where he's like, this is why we need to tax the rich. I'm like... What? Like this is this is what you, this is what you want to do? Like, don't be a Debbie Downer, Kyle. I like Kyle. I think he's a great dude. Uh, I, he's a very good, engaging YouTuber. Uh, but I, I felt like that was just the wrong place, wrong time, right? I feel like if this was Zuckerberg, sure, I get where you're coming from, Kyle. I know where you're coming from. But this is Tom Brady. We're talking about the go to goats here. We're talking about an individual that literally gets brain damage each and every Sunday. Let him make his money. All right, this man gets CTE every time he steps on a football field, right? Tom Brady once said that playing football is like getting into a car crash each and every week. So make let the man make his money, okay? Like at some point, it's going to be eat, like eating food through a straw. All right, let him make his money, Kyle. 
all right like just stop doing this stop embarrassing yourself and i like kyle all right i really do enjoy kyle i think kyle Kalinsky is a great follow he's a great dude but i felt like that tweet was just a little bit out of hand and more importantly like at the end of the day like we live in the land of millionaires and billionaires. Like we can obviously, you know, hate on it, but overall, that's just the neoliberal system that we live in. So it's easy to it's easy to be hateful and dismissive of this, but at the end of the day, this man deserves it. I mean, let's be honest here. He's the greatest athlete to ever do it. I mean, the greatest sports team athlete to ever do it. Obviously, we can say that you know Ali was the best athlete or Djokovic is the best athlete, but in terms of a team sports athlete, he's one of the best to ever do it. He really is. He's done this for over 20, 22 years. He's been playing since the year 2000. I was born two years before then. He won his first Super Bowl before I, I turned three, you know, I mean, before I turned four years old. I mean, he's been into in the thick of it for the past 20 or so years. He's been the winningest player in, in NFL history and, and team sports history, if you will. And at some point, you got to cash in. You know, and, and I don't know if he's going to enjoy being an analyst. I mean, the job, in my opinion, while it, it is a dream job for me, I'm not going to lie. I feel like being a tennis analyst would be great. I don't know if any channel is, you know, thinking about hiring. But, hey, if you want a diversity hire, I'm your boy. But I don't know if he's going to enjoy it. I really don't. I, I think there's some, like, implications in the contract where he has to sort of shake hands and grin and... and you know, hang out with the Murdoch's kids and whatnot. So it's a little dicey, dicey, if you will, uh, reference there. But when you see this, right, when you see the Tom Brady news and when you see this, it's like, okay, hopefully it doesn't turn into Tony Romo, right? Like I like Tony Romo early on, but then in the past few or so years, he's been, I don't know what, but he's been a shell of himself. He's been loony. He hasn't really been giving the best analysis and, I like Tony Romo. I think he's a really, he was a really good analyst, but for the past year or so, he's been like a shell of himself. And I just don't want Tom Brady to do that. You know, I, I want him to be as active and healthy as possible. Obviously, he follows the TB12 diet, so he's not going to be on painkillers or Adderall or whatnot. So that's good enough. That's good enough for me. But overall, Tom Brady getting the Fox analyst gig, I don't hate it. I really don't. I mean, this is like, a rod with the texas rangers numbers like when i saw this when i saw this gig announced or when i saw him getting this gig after announcing his retirement i'm like oh man this is like a rod with the rangers like 10 years for like over a like nearly uh, a third of a billion i mean that's a rod numbers to say the least back with the rangers in in like 2003 so Overall, I don't hate on this, right? Like at the end of the day, Tom Brady is one of the best to ever do it. Uh, I'm excited to see him after football because I feel like we're going to see more personality-driven Tom Brady as opposed to what we saw with the Patriots. I mean, Tom Brady with the Patriots was like a stick. Like we had, I had no idea who he was. All I knew was that he was this dude that owned a big-ass home in Chestnut Hill and that was gated and you know that he really didn't enjoy living in new england that's all i really knew about tom brady in terms of his off the field personality i just knew that he liked uggs you know that he had that he had an interest in avocado ice cream you know that's what i knew that he was married and that he married a supermodel and that he got you know some chick from ncis pregnant before meeting giselle Bunchen. that's all i really knew about tom brady before moving to Tampa and before he got familiarized with social media and with TikTok. By the way, his TikTok is like impressive. Like he he brings that comedic timing. He's able to dish it in that. He's able to dish it out, which is good. I like that out of him. But yeah, overall, Tom Brady, I, I mean, I don't know. When I saw that Kyle Kalinske thing, I was just floored. I'm like, really? This is the side you're going to be on just hating on one of the best to ever do it? Like, if this was some billionaire that got it through through ganging up or, you know, siding with the Saudis or with the Israelis in terms of, you know, selling weapons or whatnot, I get it. You know, if this was some person that was routinely, you know, putting their money in a tax haven and not getting people to tax it out, I get it. If this was like a Boris Becker situation, I, I know where they're coming from, but this is Tom Brady, all right? Some people, they deserve making money. 
right? I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of people. And maybe this is from the left, but I'm sick and tired of people like saying, oh, he didn't deserve making that much money. I'm like, who are you to say that? Who are you to say that? That, oh, he doesn't deserve making that kind of money. It's like, come on. Like this man puts in the work. I mean, if you guys don't know, uh, Scott Pioli, he was like a general manager for the Patriots. He was on the Dan Patrick show. And he was just, he was detailing that in the winter of two that of the year two thousand. This was this was after Brady got uh, got drafted by the Patriots. He said that he was at Foxborough Stadium, the old Foxborough Stadium before the Gillette Stadium, and he was saying that he was just walking around. He saw a light on, and he was kind of sad or kind of mad that the light was still on. He was trying to talk to people to turn off the light. So he goes there. He goes into the room. He opens the room up, and he just sees Tom Brady. You know, blasting out music, probably U2, the band U2, great band, just throwing football spirals into like small canisters. And he just walked in, into the middle of Tom Brady, just in the zone, you know, just perfecting his throws and whatnot. And Scott Pioli just looked at Tom Brady and said, Hey, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? And this was like in the middle of the winter, like where every quarterback is on vacation, you know, socializing, you know, spending their Friday nights more productively. This is on a Friday night, by the way. And Tom Brady was like, hey, I'm just trying to work out some new things, trying to uh, get better and whatnot. And Tom Brady was like, by the way, Scott, uh, can you not tell anybody that I was here? And I felt like that story really shows you the grind set that Tom Brady has. Like this man, and I've said this plenty of times before, this man is like if Patrick Bateman played football. The The amount of craziness that this man must have on a middle of a winter day or at the middle of a Friday winter night to drive to the stadium and just to work on spirals is something that very few people in terms of their overall work experience can accomplish or can't even muster. So to see people hate on Tom Brady, to see people hate on people that I know put in their work, put in their own hard work and commitment to what they do and lo- what they love and enjoy, I feel like it comes from a very myopic perspective. So by that reason, by that reason only, and for many other reasons, for that me- reason specifically, it's hard for me to be like, no, we got to tax Tom Brady. It's like, it's just too much, man. It really is. Anyways, I, that's just my overall thoughts and opinions on the matter when it comes to Tom Brady and when it comes to the Kyle Colency tweet about it. I just felt like I had to air it out because I get it. It's very trendy and very popular to be like tax the rich, tax the rich. But it's like, no, some people like deserve making that money. Like some people deserve being rich and wealthy. And when you see the overall serial killer vibes that they bring out, it's and more importantly, the attention to detail that they have with each and everything that they do, it's hard to turn your back away from it. So, I mean, overall, I think, you know, with Tom Brady and with the news about, you know, him getting that $375 million deal, it was bound to have Twitter talking about it and people like, hey, we need to tax him. But it's like, no, you're not, you're not disclosing, you're not really discussing the avenues that he had to go through to make this kind of money, right? This man had to take pay cut after pay cut because he knew that if he, t- if he took pay cuts, it would mean that his team would win a Super Bowl, right? Back when he was with New England, he would routinely lose money, dock money each and every year because he knew he had a better chance of winning the Super Bowl because of that. So when I see individuals on their higher horse and be like, we need to tax the rich, it's like, no, you have no idea what made Tom Brady have to go through this just to get this kind of payday. None whatsoever. So I... I'm getting like very like pent up about this and you know obviously there's a lot of moving parts to it and you know I feel like it's best if I just leave it as it is Tom Brady in the 375 million dollar deal I'm happy for him I think that's great to see uh and that's where I should sort of leave it off at that you know all right let's get into uh, our next bit of discussion here shall we uh in terms of news outside of the sports world uh so Rand Paul uh, ripped the DHS secretary over the Ministry of Truth and their overall handling of disinformation. So I'm just getting this from Fox News. This, this happened roughly four or five uh, some odd days ago. 
But I felt like this was very appropriate for me to discuss because Rand Paul just went in on this DHS secretary in ways that I've never seen a sitting congressperson go after a person within the government. Like, I know people like to give Bernie Sanders credit for, you know, going after the billionaire class and for getting people health care and whatnot, which, hey, you know, that's good. You know, if you're a Bernie Sanders fan, all the power to you. I, I used to like Bernie Sanders back in 2016, but then he became a cuck for the establishment. And I'm like, okay, no longer, no longer Bernie Sanders fan. But, uh, you know, Rand Paul did something that very few politicians could do, which was go after the own government from the inside out. And this was very, very important to see. And I'm just getting this from Fox News. So uh, let me just pull it up right now, uh, right here quick for you guys, because, you know, I want to sort of break this down. And, you know, to do that, I feel like uh, pulling this up for you and, and really talking about it in detail, really service that uh, belief so, or that uh, agenda that I'm trying to get out. Or not agenda. That's the wrong way. I'm not trying to sell anything, but the what truly happened, the events that occurred. So I feel like getting the entire picture and landscape of it, I feel like it gets you a better picture as to what truly went down. So Rand Paul grills Mayorkas on disinformation. I don't trust the government to figure out what the truth is. So Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky challenged Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas Mayorkas over his department's newly announced disinformation governance board, asserting that the American people do not need the federal government to tell them what the truth is. Paul specifically pointed to, pointed to claims that he has made about the COVID-19 pandemic that have not been in line with the administration policies. I have a great respect. I have a greater respect for the American people than you do. I think the American people can figure out what the truth is, the senator said. And if you think the American people need to be told that there's not fentanyl in the vaccination, feel free to say it. All right, this is kind of getting dark. I didn't really re- like proofread this, but uh if he's defending fentanyl in the vaccine i don't know uh feel free to say it but the thing is if you're going to go around saying that you're the arbiter of information and end of disinformation i think you have no clue and you don't have the perspective of history knowing that different disinformation largely the, the largest progenitor of disinformation in our history has probably been the u.s government that last comment was in line with what paul said earlier about the u.s government having history of spreading disinformation do you know the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is the U.S. government, Paul said. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran Contra? When he said that, my jaw was on the floor. I mean, I saw, you know, Jenks, crack connoisseur. Go follow him. He's like this person that makes fun edits on Twitter, on Instagram as well. I don't know his, uh, ad, his handle on Instagram, but on Twitter, it's uh, like at crack connoisseur. He made a dope ass edit about this. And I say dope ass edit because it was a dope ass edit uh, to pull out my uh, hood card out. You know, just pull out my hood card, drop it on, uh, drop it like it's hot. No? Okay. Anyways, I mean... And he goes on to say, I mean, think of all the, the of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country, Paul continued. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. You think we can't determine, you know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? Do you think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with the Steele dossier. I don't trust the government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. Bars, 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 bars. Like, that was crazy. I mean, you put that, if you put that with Nas's ether, like, if you put that with the ether instrumental with Rand Paul just being like, you know who the largest progenitor of, the, of disinforma- disinformation? The U.S. government. If you just did that with the ether behind it, like, oh, damn, that would be crazy. I might do that, honestly. Uh, but anyways, Rand Paul is on the money with this. It's funny to mention the things where he's like, oh, yeah, the government had a hand on it, like the Pentagon Papers, uh, WNDs with Bush lying about it. I mean, he criticized his own party because of that. Like, do you know how crazy this back and forth exchange was? I've never seen that in like a sitting Congress hall. Like for me, like I don't really find politics enjoyable. Like I don't think I'll ever vote an election ever again. Like I voted in the 2020 election and I voted for Rand Paul's dad for president like that's how much i do not care about the about the election process i really don't it's all rigged don't partake in it if you know about the ins and outs of it the ebbs and flows of it don't really partake in it if you know the history of it and if you know how easy it is to sway elections don't partake in it you know like i don't because i don't so when i saw him go up to mcnamara the pentagon papers 
Iran-Contra, it's a blunder on Reagan's part, which is a Republican party. Even though Rand Paul is a Republican, he went after his own party in terms of this disinformation dispute with Mayorkas. And that was incredible to see. And I saw, to the leftist credit and to Kyle Kalinske's credit, he, I think he gave Rand Paul credit for this. I think he gave him some spotlight for, for doing this. And, you know, obviously a broken clock is right twice a day. I mean, there are things that Rand Paul says that I'm like, okay, this is a little too much. Uh, this is a little too loony. I mean, I think, I don't know if he was defending or if he was saying that there was fentanyl in the vaccines. I don't think he was. I mean, that's that's a little too much. But uh, there are certain things that he does say that I'm like, okay, this is a little too much. But overall, in this discussion, he's right. And I think... It's very important for the government to really go after its own and, and to really eat out its own. You know, I mean, not not anything like like that. Like, you know, not to eat out like that. But I mean, when you see the politicians go after other politicians and really call it each call it each other and do this in a way that's based off of truth and what is to be true, you got to support it. And when you see Rand Paul calling out disinformation by saying Bush lied about weapons of mass destruction, to see Reagan call out Reagan for saying that he lied about Iron Contra, to lie about the Pentagon Papers with with McNamara, you gotta be in favor of Rand Paul, regardless of political ideology, regardless of your political coalition. You gotta support Rand Paul in this because at the end of the day, he comes from a place of honesty. He's coming from a place of truth. What I think would be the icing on the cake was like. If he was like, are you familiar with the 9-11 report? Are you familiar with the JFK report? Like, if he added those two things, I mean, there might be a chance that he gets shot down by the CIA. But if he included those two things, like, that would be the greatest thing that has ever been said at at a Senate floor hearing. Honestly, that would be amazing to see. Like, that would be up there with... I have, like, with... With... Eisenhower calling out the military-industrial complex in his farewell address. That It would be up there with that. If he said the JFK thing, the JFK report, and the 9-11 report, like, that would be crazy to see. Like, if he just said, do you know what the U.S. government did on September 11th? <laughs> like, if he just said that out loud, like, if he just, like, flat out just pulled out a 9-11 truther card, oh, my God. Like, I would, you know that meme of South Park where it was just, like, that dude, like, sitting down like this with, like, cream everywhere? That would be me. <laughs> like, that would be me. Uh, so, honestly, I don't, I, I think this is great. Like, I, I love this. I think this is something that we need. We need to see more politicians come out and be like, you know what? The government lies to you. And I'm not going to be one of those individuals. Honestly, I would vote for him right on the spot. I would. Like, if if Elizabeth Warren, and I don't know why I picked out, out her, but if she was like, you know what? You know what? The Gulf of Tonkin was fake. And here's why. Uh, that would be crazy. Like, he rep- she represents, you know, Massachusetts. If she was like, you know what? research the Boston Marathon bombers with the FBI. And, and she just did like a 10-second ad about that. I would vote for her. Like, at the end of the day, I want this entire thing to burn down. Like, I don't, ha- I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I just like chaos. I like chaos for what it is. I don't want it in front of my front doorstep, but I like chaos in terms of the, in terms of the rhetoric that is spewed by politicians. So I like that kind of chaos. I don't like it like out in the streets, but I do like chaos between politicians. And if she was like, if Elizabeth Warren just stared down the camera and was like, you know what? Research the Zarnayevs with the FBI. This message was brought to you and paid for by Elizabeth Warren. Cut to black. That will be amazing to see. I would love that. That would be, I would vote for her on the spot. I'll be like, you know what, Elizabeth Warren, I was wrong about you. You're not a pussy, honestly. Uh, part of my French on that, uh, part of my language for that. But that's what I truly believe. I really am. Like, I really do believe in that. So honestly, Rand Paul grilling the, uh, the, uh, the, the dude from the Ministry of Truth, I love it. I think more of this should happen, honestly. I think this is something that is a step in the right direction. I really do. Uh, so yeah, overall, that's just my overall opinions on the uh, on the Rand Paul thing. I think this is one of the best addresses I've ever seen. This was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. Uh, it really shook me to my core. It really did. You know, people will say the Giuliani moment for, for Ron Paul. People will say, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, torching people, torching Hillary or whatnot. Actually, he didn't torch Hillary. He sided with Hillary during that entire debate that he had with her. But, you know, people will go back to... Uh, 
you know, I don't know, to Obama's 2000, 2004 uh, speech at the DNC. Uh, no, this is my speech. Like, this is something that I will get off on. I loved what this man said. I really did. And I think more and more politicians have to be honest about their own government. You know, I feel like, I mean, the fact that we still have no idea what happened on, uh, actually, I don't want to double, I don't want to divulge too much. All right. I feel like that's, that's where I'll put the kibosh on it. I, if I say anything more than I'm, then I might get Philip Marshall. Uh, do your Googles on Philip Marshall, by the way. Uh, but I don't want to say anything more. So I'll leave it at that. That's it. All right. Uh, I think that's it for me on the topics, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at LJ Tucker at H-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R on my both Instagram and Twitter with the un- with an underscore at the end. So I'll repeat that for you because I flubbed that. I flubbed it on it. Uh, at LJ Tucker, H-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R. Make sure you follow me on my podcast channel, on my podcast clips channel. Uh, I'll try and post on both more so on my podcast clips channel but on my podcast channel feel free to subscribe to it as well uh, and make sure you rate and review on itunes and spotify you know i feel like that's very important i think the spotify feature just has a new review feature so i think that's great and a new rate feature so do go do that go check that out and last but not least make sure you spread the word on whatsapp or through text change text chains i feel like establishing and creating community between us is very very important i feel like being very honest and vocal about our beliefs allows our society to be more transparent with one another be more honest and vocal about one another and if we're able to do that if we're able to spread this mess uh, podcast to you know your friends to your family members the more the merrier the better it is the more funny it will be and the more enjoyable it will be for all of us so i think that's where i'll leave it at that so guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening i'll try and see you guys in my podcast clips channel where we'll be discussing the italian open semifinal maybe one or two matches Maybe, I mean, two matches is implied with the semifinal, but maybe one match for the semifinal and maybe one match for the final. I'll do my best to, uh, to you know, uh, hear back on your comments. So leave a comment down below on any of the topics, whether it's the Tom Brady situation, whether it's Rand Paul, whether it's the two uh, matches that I discussed with Sonia Goshapovalov and Karatsev Djokovic. Leave a comment down below on any of these discussion on any of the topics, and I'll try to do my best to respond to each and every one of them. And with that, I th- that concludes another episode of this podcast. So guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much, so, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you guys on Tuesday with the podcast or on Sunday slash Saturday, depending on if I'm available on Saturday for the Italian Open recaps for the final and maybe even that of the semifinal. So other than that, guys, that'll be it for me. Avoid the bookings, and I'll see you guys on Tuesday for my podcast channel. Saturday, possibly, you know, Saturday, possibly Saturday, definitely Sunday for my podcast clips channel for the discussion on the Italian Open final. All right, guys, peace. See you all.